I hope everybody's had a good week, had a good uh, Sabbath day of rest. Um, sorry that it's just me tonight, not all three of us. You'll have to get over that disappointment. I'm a little disappointed I didn't have a cushy chair to sit in. We'll, we'll survive together. So I want to kind of tell you about my week. Um, Tuesday night, I got to, to go help uh, Lex and Amanda pack up their house to move. Um, it's always good to go and be helpful and to do nice things. And uh, it's kind of hot and sweaty. And I got home kind of late and kind of tired and kind of messed up my routine, my schedule a little bit. That's all right. It's good to help. Uh, Wednesday we got the message that Lex was able to close on his house so they could actually go ahead and move into their new house. So I went back out Wednesday night and I helped him unpack with several other people and Wednesday it was even hotter and we were out even later and uh, you know kind of kind of grumbly. They actually have just a really beautiful home and I was very very happy for them. But in my lack of sleep in my routine being messed up. By, by the time I got home from work Thursday, I was a little bit grumbly. Um, and, and Kimberly noticed right away. She goes, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, nothing. Nothing's wrong with me. And she's like, all right, whatever, but something's wrong. And it took me a little while, but eventually I said, they have a really nice house and I'm kind of jealous. Because as many of you know, Kimberly and I have been living in a camper for almost two years now waiting for our house, waiting to, to build, waiting, and, and I, uh, I threw myself a little pity party. I was a little bit jealous, I was a little bit grumbly, and um, really um, just kind of had to spew all that out, and then repent and apologize, and, and remember to be joyful for my brother that, that he has this blessing of this home, and um, and it's kind of in that mindset that I want to talk to you tonight. Um, but I want to go back to last week's uh, Torah reading, and, or the half Torah portion out of Joshua. And I want to read something, and it, it really stuck out to me. So starting at, at uh, Joshua 2, verse 8, um, and we know what's going on here, right? Rahab has, has hidden the spies from, from Israel. Um, and she, she goes up to them now, and she goes, uh, and before they, they, laid, they were laid down, she came up unto them onto the roof, and she said unto the, the men, I know that Yahweh hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea, and for you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither uh, did there remain any courage in any man because of you. For Yahweh your Elohim, he is Elohim in heaven above and in earth beneath. And what stood out to me there is that this group of people who are not God's people have this fear of God. Yet when we go back and we read how God's chosen people actually reacted, they had no fear of God. They had 
fear of these people. And in a sense, I think it, you could say that this people that's not God's people had more reverence for God than his chosen people, than his people that he had just saved out of Egypt. And, and so the question was in my mind, like, how did that happen? Or, or maybe better, the better question is, how can we make sure it doesn't happen again in our life? Or how can I see my brother get blessed and I not put the focus on me and get jealous and not the focus on God who is blessing somebody? So if you would, let's pray and we'll get started. Our Father, our King, uh, thank you for this Shabbat. Thank you for the worship, for the time to pray together, to have fellowship together. It is, it is such a blessing to be here with my family. Uh, Father, I pray that your spirit would be with me, that the words that I would say would be an encouragement and a reminder, Father. Um, Father, you've done so much for all of us. And uh, we all have uh, an amazing testimony to share about, about your greatness. And uh, Father, help us to remember these things. Help us not to lose sight of, of just that awe and that power and that authority that you have. Father, we love you. We know that your kingdom will be forever and ever. We thank you for your anointed salvation, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that we don't lose focus and um, you know, take our eyes off of what God is telling us to do and what he's promised us. You know, how do we keep from putting our focus on ourselves? Um, and there's several things that come to mind. Um, you know, uh, uh, reading scripture, right? Uh, Romans 10.7 says, you know, faith comes by hearing when we hear scripture. Um, also, remembering our testimony in Revelation, it says that they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and their, their testimony. So these are two great ways of keeping our focus. But I want to talk about something that is in the book of Nehemiah. And it's, it's a very interesting phrase. But I want to read Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, All the people gathered themselves together as one man, into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which Yahweh had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So what's the first day of the seventh month? It's trumpets, right? So this is a, this is a Kodesh day. It's a holy day. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mattiah and Shema and Aniah and Unyah, and Hilkah, and Messiah, Maasiah, on his right hand. And on his left were Padiah, and Mishael, um, Machiel, uh, Hashum, Hash, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. 
Sorry if I uh, messed up those names. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great Elohim. And all answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting of hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani and Serebi, Yamin, Akuv, Shabbati, Hobajah, Masa, Kalita, Azariah, Yozabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of Elohim distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the which is the Tirithah, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto Yahweh your Elohim. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. When he said unto them, Go, to, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them who have nothing prepared. For this day is holy unto our, unto our sovereign. Neither be sorry, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. It's that phrase right there. The joy of Yahweh is your strength. This is the, the Levites teaching them. So it says, your joy in Yahweh is your strength. And that word joy is kedva. Uh, it's rejoicing, it's gladness, and it means joy. Um, the word strength is the word oz, and it's security and boldness. Um, that word for joy there is only used one other time, and it's it's in First uh, Chronicles 16. It says, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So that got me to, to wondering, is there, a con, you know, is there a link here throughout Scripture of joy and strength? Is, there, is, there, is this a common theme throughout Scripture? And so I just typed in joy. <laughs> and then I began to read the Scriptures, and I typed in strength, and I began to read the Scriptures. And there's, there certainly is this pattern that you would see that where there's joy, the people remember God. They acknowledge Him. But where there's a lack of joy, they've forgotten Him. They've forgotten the many blessings. They've forgotten. So just like in my little pity party, I kind of was putting the focus on me and not on my king. And that's just how easy that can happen. Like even something as simple as helping a friend move, you can allow yourself to, to take the focus off God. And, and when we do that, we're just... We're setting ourselves up for failure, just like the Israelites did. They were days away from inheriting their promise. I mean, just days away. That's how close they were to it. But because their fear was misplaced and their focus was on themselves and not on God and his authority, 
they wandered the desert for 40 years. And that's, that should really be striking to all of us, like to be so close to the promise, so close to, to that fulfillment and, and to walking into the, to the land with victory. But we take our focus away from where it should be and 40 years go by now. And it made me really wonder, like, how many times have I done that? How many times have I, in my own life, taken my focus away from where it should be? And how much time had I given away in that? You know, not simply being patient and waiting on God, but saying he can't do it or I'll perish before it happens. And it's, it's kind of scary to think about. You know, maybe the blessings we've walked away from, the, the times we've, we've turned our back and, and put our focus on what we don't have or what we, we can't get or understand, instead of, all right, Father, you're it. My focus is on you 100%. That's all I'm going to do is think about you and your words, and, and I'm going to move forward with you. So I wanted to read some scriptures where where this thought, this joy and strength, this joy and security come into play, because it's really throughout. Um, It says in, in Psalms, it says, But let all who take refuge rejoice. Let them always shout for joy. You will shelter them. They exult, and they exult. Those who love your name. For you bless the righteous, Adonai. You surround him with favor as a shield. And again, it's, it's the ones that have joy can take, they have the joy in the Lord, can take refuge in him. They have joy in him, and he becomes their shield. He becomes their protection. Uh, in Psalm 27, for in the day of trouble, you will, uh, he will hide me in his sukkah, conceal me in the shelter of his tent, and set me high upon a rock. Then will my head be high above my enemies around me. In his tabernacle, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praise to Adonai. And you'll see often that that having joy in the Lord comes through singing and dancing. The very thing that we were doing here just a few minutes ago, you know, celebrating who our king is. Um, Also in Psalm 118, it says, Adonai is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory are in the tents of the righteous. Adonai's right hand is mighty. Adonai's right hand is lifted high. Adonai's right hand is mighty. I will not die, but live and proclaim what Adonai has done. In Ecclesiastes, it says uh, in chapter 2, For who can eat and who can have joy apart from him, apart from Yahweh? For to the one who pleases him, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating wealth to give it to one who pleases God. This is also only a vapor and striving after the wind. And again, this, this, it almost sounds too simple. 
it almost sounds like, well, that's just too, too easy. Like, there's no real big deep, you know, where's the great deep hidden mystery here? It's not deep and it's not hidden. It's right there in front of us that if we can rejoice and if we can have joy in our king, he'll protect us. He'll strengthen us. If we look around the world today and we see all the stuff that's going on, it's really easy to get distracted. What are we going to do about this virus and the vaccine? Or what are we going to do about the politics? Or what are we going to do? What we should do is focus on our king, be joyful in who he is, and let's allow him to handle those things for us. And when he gives us the order, when he says it's time to rise up or to march forward, we'll joyfully be obedient. We'll go out dancing. We'll go out singing. See, that that's part, I think, of our call to be different than, than the rest of the world. Because while everybody else is fearful, while everybody else is worried about politics or all the other weirdness that's going on, Where is our focus supposed to be? And what should our attitude and our heart be? It should be full of joy. Because that joy is what will strengthen us. It's that joy that God will use to build a shield around us. It's that joy that will preserve us through all the tribulation, through all the trials, through all the things I'm not trying to say that, like, we'll never have trouble or there'll never be sorrow. I mean, we know that trial comes. We know that loss happens. And and so we have these seasons. But if we find ourselves always in sorrow, always in anger, always in bitterness, always in just blah, Um, Ava would say mech. You know, we ask her if she liked dinner, meh. If we're always in that, that world, then we should be asking ourselves, have we forgotten our king? Have we forgotten all that he has done, all that he will do? Because if we really think about those things, that we should be overwhelmed with joy. We should be like in awe instead of, well, I wonder what's going to happen in Israel. Or I wonder what, what my work's going to do about this vaccine thing. Or, gosh, I'm going to have to wear a mask if I go to Walmart. Or whatever the stuff that's going on in the world is. Because that's always changing. It's always happening. It was happening in this book. And it's happened in our parents' lives. It'll happen probably in our children's lives. But the best thing we can teach them is this very simple message of joy in our king. Joy in what he's done and what he's doing. I mean, when the rest of the world is walking around in panic, if we're smiling and happy and singing praise, that should probably get somebody's attention, right? You know, what do you know that I don't know? Let me tell you about my king. That's what I know. Let me tell you about his goodness and 
And while all this stuff may look really bad, he's given me a promise. He's given each and every one of us in here a promise. So we should be going out into the world with, with joy. And that, that should shine. You know, we have that, um, that example of let your light shine. You know, Yeshua says these words. And it's, it's, it's like that joy in us. People should see that. But if we're walking around with our heads down, we're all glum, we're all beat up because Trump didn't win or because whatever thing, we're, we're failing a mandate. The focus is now on us again, how sad I am versus how great our king is. Another scripture in Psalm 20, it says, We will shout for joy in your victory and lift up our banners in the name of God. May Adonai fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Adonai saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with saving strength of his right hand. Um, Look for the word joy in Paul's letters. It may surprise you, but he talks often about his people being full of joy, wanting them to be full of joy. Um, let's see, um, in Philippians two seventeen it says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. The same way you also rejoice and share your joy with me. Do you know that we can share our joy? That happens for me a lot. It really happened at Shavuot. It was amazing to see people dancing just in pure joy. Singing with abandon, not not caring how they sounded or who could hear just with joy or how you know, when when Chloe came down to get baptized I was weeping when um, when Scott came down to get baptized I was weeping with my brother not out of sorrow but just out of this joy that pressing forward that people were willing to do to get closer to their king And I was just so pumped up and so excited by the time I left. I didn't mind about the rain or the packing or the moving. I didn't mind about any of those things. I was like, man, I got to see people celebrate. I got to celebrate with them. That joy is contagious. So we should should be sharing that joy. Don't hold back when... God is blessing you, share that. Share that joy with everybody around you. And not just even here, but I think about, man, what if we took that joy to our, our work or to our schools or, or just out around, you know, and in town, and we were just joyful and had praise for our king. And, and just I, I think people would come up to us and say, what do you got? <laughs> Why are you smiling? What makes you so happy? 
I serve a great king. And he's blessed me. He's forgiven me. There should be this overwhelming joy in all of us. We should not be walking around sad or just blending into the crowds. That joy, that smile, that should be just beaming from us with radiance. I'm not afraid of what's going on out there in the world, and neither should you. Uh, I'm not afraid of political upheavals, and neither should you. I'm not afraid of viruses or vaccines, and neither should you. I have a fear of my king. All fear is due to him, like in as a form of respect, as a form of his power and authority. We should be more afraid of complacency, of apathy, of laziness than any virus or any political situation. We should be afraid of sin, sneaking in, creeping into our lives. Those are things that are worthy Like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want my focus to get on me and and I miss the blessing. I miss what my king has for me. In Deuteronomy 28, it it says, All these curses will come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not listen to the voice of Adonai your God to keep his mitzvot and statutes that he commanded you. They will be a sign and a wonder on you and on your descendants forever. Instead of serving Adonai your God with joy and goodness of heart out of all abundance of everything, you will serve your enemies whom Adonai will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Adonai will raise up a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, just as the eagle swoops down a nation whose language you will not understand. All because the people could not, would not, serve their king with joy. What good does it do us to keep Sabbath if we're bitter about it? What good does it do us to to be obedient in anything if our heart is dark and ugly about it? It's not just a checklist of, of things to do so that we can get in. Again, we're called to be joyful in doing these things. And I'm not saying that it's always easy because some of the things are like it's hard to understand some. But the heart in us should be joyfully trying to figure it out. If we have resentment and obedience, it doesn't mix right. But if we have joy and obedience... 
And that's not joy in me, it's joy in him. Joy in our king, joy in our father. Then he's going to bless us. He may say it's time to rise up and go destroy this kingdom and and get into the land. Do we joyfully get up and go? They didn't. And it cost them. They died out in the wilderness. I don't want any of us to die in the wilderness for a lack of faith, for a lack of serving him with joy. When, I mean, God's just saying, I want you to be happy. <laughs> and it's not a deep, hard thing to understand, right? I mean, he's just saying, I want my people to be happy that they're my people. Because if a people that are not his can understand his power and authority, can understand all that he's doing, and the people that are his can't or won't, that's a big problem. That's, I don't want that. I don't want it in my life, and I definitely don't want to see it in anybody else's. We as a whole, as a body, should be serving with joy, celebrating our king. That's, that's the whole point of coming here every Shabbat, I think, is that we sing and we dance and there should be joy in these, the feast days that we celebrate. It should be all about joy. It's really easy to celebrate and be joyful after the blessing, right? After the victory. You know, after you, you get that brand new gift for your birthday, it's really easy to be happy about it. But can we be joyful in the waiting? That's a little bit more challenging. Can we be joyful while we're waiting for a healing? Can we be joyful while we're waiting for a house? waiting for a victory, waiting for an answer to prayer. That's where the challenge is. That's where we have to say, I will be joyful even in the waiting. I'm not going to put the focus on me and say, oh, woe is me. The focus is on God and that trust that he is going to provide. Yes, I've lived in a camper, but I've had a roof over my head, food on my table, and my family close to me. Very, very close to me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a blessing. We have to remember, we have to put that focus on, on that, all the ways he's blessing us. Even if you're waiting for something. I know I'm not the only one that's having home issues right now. There's several. God is going to provide and take care. Our job is to remain joyful in him, even in the waiting. We are entering a season 
waiting for the fall feast. That's 103 days until Sukkot, if anybody's counting. I am. Uh, the furnace that is in Oklahoma summer is starting to heat up. Can you be joyful in the waiting? Can you be joyful helping a friend move, sweating and sweating and sweating? Yes. Can we be joyful? It's a choice that we all have to make. So I want to read one more scripture, and and I'm going to finish up. I'm sorry, Lex, this is really short, but again, it's not a deep, deep message. But can we do like they did? Can we can we stand up, like they stood up when they opened the book, and and I'm going to read this, but almost I'm I'm looking at this as a prayer. Okay. So in Psalm 28, starting at verse six, it says. Blessed be Adonai, because he has heard the sound of my supplications. Adonai is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I was helped. Therefore, my heart leaps for joy, and I will praise him with my song. Adonai is their strength, a stronghold of salvation for his anointed. Save your people. Bless your inheritance, shepherd them, and carry them forever. Amen. When we recognize who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, our hearts should just leap for joy. I want that. I want that in my life. I want to remember how good our king is and then I want to share that every chance I get with all of you with the people in this world that will hear it and see it and the ones that won't that's all right I'm not going to allow that to discourage me I want you guys to share your joy with me because it encourages me To see you smile and dance and sing and, and to see the kids play and the adults laugh and the men play. and Even when we work together, there's joy in that. Joy of our king. Joy of his blessings in our life. Choose to be joyful even in the waiting, even in the hard times. Choose to be joyful. It's not always easy. I get that. But your king is great. Your father loves you and he's amazing. He sent his son to pay for your sins so that he could spend time with you in eternity. Don't wait till then to be joyful. Be joyful now. Be joyful and remember your king. Amen? All right. Thank you.
All right. I want you guys to do something for me. Since you're already standing, why don't you have a seat? <laughs> All right. Now, how many of you guys, when you sat down, did you check the integrity of the chair before you sat in it? Anybody? Double check it to make sure it's going to hold your weight. I was talking Mike, Mike Hooker the other day, and he, he said something to me that I'd never really thought about before. And I thought, man, that's, that's a really good thought. And I wanted to share it with you. He was talking about chair-like faith. Okay? Not child-like faith, chair-like faith. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And you think about, you know, when you, when you sit in a chair, most of the time, unless the chair looks really un, unstable, you know, you look at a chair and if it's, you know, wood rot and torn and whatever, you might be a little bit hesitant about it. Or if it's, you know, really flimsy looking plastic and it's been sitting out in the sun for years, you know, you're, you may be a little hesitant, but if you've got a, you know, regular chair that looks like it's in pretty good shape, most of us probably just plop down in it and don't even think twice about it, right? I'm sure every week you come here and you just plop down in these chairs and don't even think twice about it. You just sit. And, you know, I've got a bench that has been sitting out in the backyard for years. It's it's uh, It's got wooden slats, and it's really weathered and in really bad condition. It's like one by, you know, one by, uh, two by, whatever it is, one by two slats. And so they're thin wood, and it's been sitting out in the sun and in the rain and the weather, and it's kind of rickety. I, I think I'd be hesitant about sitting in that chair. Well, why would I be hesitant about that chair? Was because it's untrustworthy, right? I'm hesitant about a chair that appears untrustworthy. It's one that I, I'm not confident in its ability to hold my weight. I don't have the faith in that chair to be able to hold me up. But these chairs, I mean, they're metal frame, nice thick cushion. They're not only sturdy, but they're comfy, you know? So, man, I, I have no problem just plopping down in these chairs. Don't even think twice about it. But that rickety old bench that's been sitting out in the rain and the sun for years, I, I would not be as confident to sit in that chair. I would, you know, ease myself in real slowly if I even dared to try to sit in it. I'm not even sure if I would get up the guts to do that, you know. But if I did finally dare to sit in it, it would be slow, slowly set my weight upon it. See if it holds, give it a little bit more weight. See if it holds, give it a little bit more weight. And if it starts to crack, I'm jumping up, right? <laughs> so when you think about faith, where is our faith in God like? Is, there, is our faith in God kind of like that rickety old chair where we're like, well, I'll give it a little try and see if, see if it works? Or are we just going to plop down and say, you know what? I know he can take it. I know he can hold my weight. I know he can provide. I know he can do this. Where is, where is our faith with God in that? 
Do we treat him like a rickety old bench that we're not sure if we can trust? Or do we treat him like a really high quality, sturdy built chair that we can, we can rely upon for, for anything? So that's what I've been thinking about the last few days because of what Mike said. And I thought, you know, that's, that's kind of what happened in the wilderness, isn't it? When they got to the land, he said, here's the promised land I'm giving you. And they said, well, it's beautiful and all, but there's giants. What, what they were saying is, I, I don't know if our God's big enough to give us this land. I don't know if we can take these giants, right? Even though they just came out of Egypt and survived the plagues and crossed the Red Sea and you know, all kinds of pretty amazing things. They're, they still didn't have that faith that, hey, we're serving a God who can handle just about anything. Not just about anything. He can handle anything, right? And there's nothing in this earth that's too big. There's nothing too challenging. There's, there's this philosophy question, right, philosophical question. Can God create a rock so big that he can't pick it up? You know, that's, that's the kind of question you have to wrestle with with God, right? Can God make something so big he can't pick it up? Right? I mean, that's it's one of those questions that, you'll, you know, you'll be pondering for years probably. But it's, you know, obviously, if God made it, he can move it, you know? Talk about faith that moves mountains. So, I don't know, it's just one of those things I've been thinking about is where's, where's my faith? Am I, am I looking at God like a rickety old bench? Or am I just putting my faith in him completely trusting that he's going to hold it? That he's going to be able to do it? That he's going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish? And so I just want to challenge you guys with that too. All right?